Good journalists make their subject the star of their work, but every so often, the journalist themselves has their own story to tell. The work we do as journalists, it's about raising awareness, but you don't often get to actually directly help people. I think, you know, perhaps one of the things that appealed to me about becoming a living donor is that this is something that I could actually do, and this is a life that I could actually impact. That's Damaso Reyes, journalist, photographer, and founder of Clarify Media. He's also a living kidney donor. I'm Sarah Jane Castro, Director of Marketing and Communications for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois, and your host for this edition of The Journey Continues. Hi, Damaso. Thank you for joining us. I want to hear a little about your career. How long have you been a journalist? I have been a working journalist since I was in high school. Actually. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Yeah. In addition to uh, working at my high school newspaper, I began freelancing for a local newspaper in New York City while I was still in high school. So that's how I got my start. Cool. So it sounds like this has been a, a sort of lifelong passion. What made you want to pursue this career path? At a very early age, I sort of became fascinated with kind of journalism and, and writing in general. I you know, did things like read National Geographics, like so many other uh, young people. But I also became very interested in how my own community, bed in Brooklyn, New York, was being represented in the newspapers that I would read on a regular basis um, at the time in the 1980s. It was considered a very violent place. Um, we were having uh, more drug use and, and drug dealing, but it was also a place of profound joy and people had jobs and people took their kids to school and people, you know, we had block parties and all the other uh, quote unquote normal things. But I didn't really see that part of our lives represented in the media that I consumed. As I got a little bit older, I became interested in this idea that I could be the one telling the stories. I could be the one who was the witness for other people and uh, hopefully bring my own perspective to the work that I do and hopefully also highlight and uplift the voices of some people who don't often get highlighted yeah. by the press. Yeah, I love that. It's showing a different facet of a story. What sorts of stories do you typically cover now? There's a pretty big range. Um, I actually started a new position. I'm the first investigative editor at the New York Amsterdam News, which is uh, one of America's oldest Black newspaper, and actually the very newspaper I started my career at way back when as a high school student. So, oh, that's cool. Um, over the past couple of years, and especially now, I've gotten to do more long-form journalism, more investigative reporting, but I've done everything from cover arts and entertainment to immigration and migration in Europe and kind of everything in, in between. So it sounds like you've covered some tough topics. What's one of the hardest things you've had to cover? Um, actually, fairly early on in my career, while I was still actually in college, um, I went with uh, my best friend, Jimmy Briggs, uh, to Rwanda to cover the aftermath of the genocide there and specifically to examine how uh, juveniles who had been accused of genocide were being treated by the criminal justice system there. Um, and that was a that was a really powerful, difficult story 
uh, to tell. Yeah, that sounds like it would be really tough, especially for a young journalist early in your career. Throughout your career, how often did stories about kidneys come across your desk? Very, very rarely, I think. I'm trying to actually think back uh, because there was a point in my career where I was actually doing a lot of health reporting. Um, Even with the health reporting I did, you know, I did stuff on cancer. I did stuff on other issues uh, concerning communities of color, but I can't honestly recall uh, specifically doing anything around, uh, around kidney health. Well, that's so interesting then that you became a living kidney donor and having uh, not, I thought perhaps it would have been a, a story that touched your heart or something. So what did make you consider living donation? Well, it was, it was actually very personal. And what happened was um, that friend of mine, I mentioned Jimmy Briggs a little bit earlier, who I traveled to Rwanda with, had kidney failure. He was on dialysis. And, you know, he was leading a, a relatively stable life. And, you know, obviously, as, as my best friend, I would spend time with him. I'd actually go to dialysis with him from time to time. And I remember very early on, uh, you know, sort of as he was, you know, diagnosed with kidney failure and as he was um, going through dialysis, we had sort of talked sort of very vaguely or very briefly about sort of looking into a transplant. He had mentioned, or I thought he had mentioned that he was a different blood type than I was. And I kind of sort of let it pass. I didn't really look too much into it. And then, you know, maybe a year or two later, we're having another conversation and he mentioned his blood type and he mentioned that it was the same as mine. And I said, no, that's not accurate. You had said that it was Something else, you said, no, 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 my blood type is uh, is the same as yours, as it turns out. And I said, okay, well, why don't we look into doing a transplant? To me, it just, it was obviously having known him very well, but also having spent time with him in a dialysis unit and just seeing how impacted by dialysis his life was, while it certainly was keeping him alive. And we're all grateful for that. It had, you know, dialysis is really, really hard on your body, which is something I think that those of us who have never experienced it don't realize. So it was very difficult for him to lead a normal life to do, you know, he's also a journalist to do the important work that he was doing as a journalist and as a nonprofit founder. For me, it just, it seemed like a a kind of an obvious way to be helpful and to be useful. And you know, to be honest, the work we do as journalists, it's about often about raising awareness, but you don't often get to actually directly help people. Uh, it's Unfortunately, it's not like being a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. Often you don't see the effects of the work you do. And that can be very frustrating, especially when you feel like you're reporting on something that everyone should be aware of and laws should be changed and you do all this hard work and people open up their lives and their experiences to you. And then you, you can't really point to anything that has, uh, has changed. It's often very frustrating. And I think, you know, perhaps one of the things that appealed to me about becoming a living donor is that this is something that I could actually do. And this is a life that I could actually impact. I absolutely love that. That's just wonderful to hear. How did you feel once you'd made that decision and, and they, you were given the all clear to donate? I mean, I felt great. I, you know, I I never had any kind of doubts or 
concerns or worried. I, I think the team that I worked with at Mount Sinai in New York was extraordinarily supportive and informative. And, you know, sort of once I did my own homework and, and realized the minimal amount of risk that I would be under as a donor and the, the real life-changing benefit it would give to my friend, the person I donated to, it was a no-brainer for me. You know, now I, I work as a living, don't, not work as, but I volunteer as a living donor mentor. And I, you know, I always counsel people to say, hey, you know, if you do have doubts, that's perfectly natural. You shouldn't worry about that. And you should flesh those doubts out. And if you don't want to proceed, then that's absolutely okay to do. But for myself, it just, the metaphor I tend to use is that, you know, if we were at a pool party together and we saw someone drowning in the pool and we were, say, all able to swim, wouldn't we jump in the pool and, and save that person? And when it comes to, you know, people suffering from kidney disease and people who were on dialysis, they're also drowning. They're just drowning very, very, very slowly. So it doesn't seem as immediate because uh, on the outside, they seem normal, um, especially if you don't visit them while they're undergoing dialysis. But the truth is, you know, we know the statistics. We know that people on dialysis um, lead shorter lives of less quality. And so for me, this was an opportunity to help somebody I, I loved and cared about at relatively little risk to myself. So you know, I was incredibly grateful to be able to to help somebody that I cared about and to be able to support them in this way. Oh, my goodness. I'm sure he was grateful as well. Were your friends and family supportive or was anyone hesitant? Everyone was supportive. Um, I, th I think the thing that sort of the thing that seemed strange to me uh, and one of the reasons why, you know, now I volunteer as a living donor mentor is that kind of nobody else raised their hands and nobody else volunteered. You know, obviously, you know, people have different things going on in their lives and, and they have different journeys. But to me, it just, it, it, it felt obvious uh, for me that this is something that I needed to do to help somebody I cared about. I hope that, you know, other people begin to think about this as an option for themselves. I think that, you know, from what I've observed as a, you know, visiting, and one of the things I also do is actually visit dialysis patients to try to inform them about the opportunities to receive a, a living donation. But I think a lot of a lot of folks who are on dialysis, a lot of folks who are in kidney failure um, are hesitant. They're hesitant to ask their friends and family uh, for a number of different reasons. But oftentimes people do need to be asked. Um, they don't think of they don't think of it as something that they can do. Uh, they don't, you know, they often don't have the information that they need, which is why I think it's so important uh, to to let people know uh, what the process is like and how important it can be and how life saving it is. Absolutely, I think that is that you hit the nail on the head there. That making people aware of the uh, lower risks. Uh, and the higher quality of life for the recipient, I think that makes all the difference. So when was the transplant? It was in 2014. Okay. And how did you feel after surgery? I was, I was tired. I, you know, I had some pain. It, it's, you know, it is major surgery, but I was up in, in walking the, the same day of the surgery. Now I wasn't going very far, very fast, <laughs> but 
you know, within, I'd say within a week, I was feeling probably about 80, 85% normal. You know, they were able to do my surgery laparoscopically. So there was minimal incision. There was, you know, there was some pain for, for a couple of days. You, you just had surgery. It's, it's going to hurt, but it was totally manageable with medication. So after the surgery, I, I felt good. And, you know, we were, you know, we're very fortunate. We had a great team and, um, you know, the news that, you know, I got pretty much right away was, and it was great news was the kidney started functioning right away. That was great. He didn't have to do any more dialysis, which was the hope that we had, but isn't always the case uh, in transplants. So I was really excited that, you know, my friend was going to be able to, to lead a more normal life. And, and he certainly has since then. So we're eight years out now. What is life like for you and for Jimmy at this point? Oh, life is pretty normal for, for both of us. Um, you know, he's, he's been able to, to, you know, sort of fully re-engage in his career, uh, which is great. Since then he's gotten uh, married, he's adopted a, a baby girl. Um, he's, you know, traveled all over the world for his work. Um, so have I, um, life is, life is pretty normal other than, you know, having to explain to, uh, new doctors that I only have one kidney. So they, you know, <laughs> they look at my test results without, without being terrified. Uh-huh. Um, life is pretty normalized since the, uh, since the transplant, I ran a marathon. Um, oh my gosh. so, which is something I had not done before the transplant. Wow. <laughs> so, um, you know, I can honestly say I'm, I'm doing as much or more since the transplant. So life is, life is good. And it's, it's also good for me knowing that, you know, my friend is, is healthy and happy and able to, to live his life. I think it's, I think for people who have family members or friends who are, who are suffering from, from kidney disease, it's hard knowing that someone that you love or care about is in pain or suffering uh, or can't live their lives the way they would like to. And being able to, to be a part of this process uh, for me, you know, every time my friend experiences a milestone, you know, I feel like I'm a part of that. It makes me feel good, but I'm also incredibly happy, you know, that my friend is able to live the life that he wants to live. And given how many people are potentially eligible to be donors, we could largely eliminate death from kidney disease Mm -hmm. if we wanted to. And every time, you know, I read an obituary of someone, usually it's a, a, you know, relatively famous person and they say, oh, this person died from complications of kidney disease. It, it baffles me that, you know, we have the ability as a society to make these wait lists disappear, but we haven't done it yet. And I think that that's something that given the impact on quality of life. But also, you know, if we just want to talk dollars and cents, it's a lot cheaper to transplant people than it is to keep them on dialysis. People who get transplants, they're able to work, they're able to contribute to society, they live longer, productive lives. And if we just want to look at it, you know, actuarially, it's better for our society. But on the human scale, obviously, it's it's much better to to have someone who can lead a full and happy life than someone who has to go in two or three times a week to dialysis. Right. Right. Oh my goodness. Well, after donation, do you approach the stories you're writing any differently now that you have, 
you mentioned sort of having that like an impact or something you could do to like really change things. Does that change your approach in your journalism at all? Um, I don't think so. Um, I think that that's sort of always been my approach. I just got to do it in a less abstract way by donating a kidney. Uh, But I think that the principles of my work have largely stayed the same. I think that, you know, my work as a volunteer is very much in line with the work I do as a journalist, which is to inform and to educate. And, you know, when I did my health reporting, um, it was very much around the idea of trying to educate, you know, our community to make sure that they were doing things like getting screened for cancer. And the work I do as a, as a volunteer trying to help people who are going to become living donors or talk to dialysis patients about receiving a living donation, I think that's it's very much along the same lines. What's your biggest piece of advice for someone who may be considering becoming an organ donor? I think that obviously educate yourself, really learn the facts. I think that when we think about donation, having having not done it yet, I think there's a lot of emotion involved, which is natural. But learn the facts, learn whether or not you are eligible, get screened. I think the most important thing is to really think about the impact that you will have on the person you donate to, whether it's someone you know, or if uh, you want to be an altruistic donor, someone you don't know. When you donate a kidney, uh, you change someone's life in perhaps one of the most profound ways you possibly can. You know, having gone through it, looking back at it eight years later, I mean, it's not that big a deal to me, but it's a huge it was a huge deal to the person that I donated to. I mean, all, all things considered, yes, I had surgery and yes, there was recovery time. And yes, you know, there was some fear and some anxiety, but the truth is the, the impact to me was, was, relatively, was relatively minor. The impact to the person I donated was huge. And it's an incredibly, you know, kind of almost mind-bogglingly concrete way that you could actually help someone. Having the opportunity to do that is is a real gift, actually. You know, we talk about, you know, donation. We talk about the gift of life, and you know, I'm I'm someone who actually really enjoys giving gifts. It's you know, that's my love language is, mm-hmm. is actually giving and receiving gifts. So for me, it was incredibly special to be able to do this for someone I, I cared about, and that's really something I think is really important. I think if you know. If, there's someone out here listening to this and you're thinking about donating, uh, if you know someone who could be the beneficiary of your donation, talk to them, go with them to a dialysis session. It will profoundly change your understanding of their lives. And I think hopefully give you some insight into how profoundly you might be able to help them. That's beautifully put. That's why you are the writer. Damaso, I want to thank you so much for your time and for sharing your story. And I just keep thinking about Jimmy and his family now and the life that he's able to lead because you, you said yes and you chose to, to donate. And I just want to thank you for your gift and for your time. Where can our listeners uh, find your work? They can visit damaso.com, D-A-M-A-S-O.com and find my work there. 
Thanks to our guest, Damaso Reyes, for sharing about his career and his story of living donation. If you'd like to learn more about becoming a living donor, visit the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois website at nkfi.org. I'm Sarah Jane Castro, and this is The Journey Continues. Prevention is a key part of our mission at NKFI. That's why at the end of each episode, Dr. Melissa Prest offers a health or nutrition tip. Here's today's nutrition tip about vitamin D. Vitamin D is a fat-soluble vitamin, meaning it's stored in fat in the body. You may have heard vitamin D called the sunshine vitamin because we can get it from exposure to the sun, but we can also get vitamin D from the foods that we eat. The best sources of vitamin D are fatty fish like salmon and tuna and foods fortified with vitamin D like milk. Vitamin D is also present in small amounts in beef liver, cheese, egg yolks, and mushrooms. Vitamin D plays many roles in the body, including promoting calcium absorption in the gut and maintaining enough blood calcium and phosphate concentrations to allow for normal bone development. Without enough vitamin D, bones may become thin, brittle, and misshaped. Calcium plus vitamin D helps to protect, protect older adults from osteoporosis which is a disease that causes bones to become weak and brittle, making them easy to break. Many people are at risk for vitamin D deficiency, including people living with chronic kidney disease. This is because your kidneys play an important role in how your body activates vitamin D from sun exposure and the foods we eat. If your kidneys are not healthy, then you may have low levels of vitamin D in your blood. It's important to have your vitamin D levels checked by your healthcare provider and be treated if they are low. With today's nutrition tip, I'm Melissa Prest, a registered dietitian nutritionist and the foundation dietitian for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois. The Journey Continues is brought to you by the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois and sponsored by Donate Life Illinois. To learn more about kidney disease and living donation, visit www.nkfi.org. To register to become an eye, tissue, and organ donor, visit lifegoeson.com. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please subscribe to and leave a review for The Journey Continues in Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. This podcast is produced by Rivet. To hear more great podcasts, visit rivet360.com.